welcome back to the baked beans podcast this episode i want to talk a little bit about success and what that means to me these past couple of days i've had some very enlightening conversations with people that have kind of led me onto this thought process kind of i mean i was already thinking about kind of success and like you know my future obviously for the past couple of months now as you guys would know from the previous episodes but yeah my thoughts have kind of changed and altered so yeah basically the other day i i met up with alana and we were talking we talked about a lot of stuff mainly kind of our differences in our mindset kind of like alana is a very like go-getter type of person like one thing that she said that stood out to me was that like when she makes a plan for example when she wants something to happen she makes a plan she writes out every step and like obviously all the steps are like backed by research or like you know common sense and stuff and then in her mind if she follows those steps exactly then why should she fail right that's her mindset whereas I kind of am literally the opposite like I when I want to do something I can see the steps clearly in my mind as well but there's always a lot of what ifs I'm like what if this goes wrong what if that goes wrong what if this doesn't turn out as planned and then i just from the beginning i write it off as like a big failure and i'm like okay so why even start right i find that literally fear of failure is something that really really looms over my head and i've always like I've always known this. It's not like this is some like new revelation. I have always known this, but I've been like like consciously or subconsciously putting it off. I'm sure, I don't know if I've mentioned in these podcasts, but I'm sure I've mentioned this to you guys like in real life or something in conversation, but like a big factor of me procrastinating for like uni work or like homework or whatever was fear of failure because I was like you know like I don't really understand the content blah 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 blah. I'm gonna get like a bad mop blah blah and that kind of fueled my procrastination and before I always used to look at it in like an academic context and I was like, eh, like, you know, fear of failure, yeah, whatever, it's there, but it doesn't really matter because school is not the end of the world, right? But now I'm realizing that it runs much deeper than that. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm very sorry, but I'm very nasally. I have a very blocked nose. I'm still recovering from COVID. I mean, I've already recovered, but like I have like the lingering symptoms. When I recorded the last episode, I already had COVID and I just didn't know. And it was so funny because like, like before I did like a rat test, I was like, hmm, I'm like, I'm having a little bit of trouble breathing. 
wow, like that's so weird. I can actually feel the symptoms of my anxiety in a physical form. Because, you know, recently I learned that to pinpoint an emotion, you should kind of be more in tune with your body and feel the physical sensations of that emotion, right? And when I do get really anxious, I do feel like a tightness in my chest. And then the day that I got COVID, I was like, wow, it's like really bad today. But like, I don't don't know, I'm not really feeling that anxious. Maybe like the emotions have completely transformed themselves into like a physical sensation. And that's what, I don't know, my anxiety has manifested into. And I was like, huh, that's that's interesting. That's cool. (laughs) It turns out I just had COVID. Anyways, that's not the point. What was I saying before? Oh yes, fear of failure. So yeah, my fear of failure definitely runs deeper than just in an academic context. And it's... It's kind of like shown itself in other parts of my life, right? And the reason for this fear of failure before, I, I, I couldn't really pinpoint it. But I was like, I just had a shower and I was thinking about it in the shower. And I think really growing up in that like, uh, in that like selective school environment has fueled my fear of failure. Just being in such a competitive like surrounding has fested that in me, right? And like, uh, I, I, I kind of hate talking about this because it's like, bro, come on, high school was like five years ago. No, four, four years ago, like get over it. It's been so long. Like why are you still dwelling on it, right? But also at the same time, I feel like I never really got the chance to reflect on that part of my life because... I always knew there was something like a little bit fucked about it, but you know, I never really gave myself the time to like piece it all together. And I'm doing that now, now that it's having like a real effect on my present day life. So yeah, definitely the selective school environment has fessed my fear of failure because to me, failure was external and out of my control i remember like when i was talking to alana um i asked her what her definition of success was and she answered that success is trying her best and following all the steps and processes like i mentioned before so i was actually very mind blown at that i don't know like i i that like does not align with my view of what success is at all and i even gave her the example of like let's say you do follow all the steps like uh, putting it into the context of a business right let's say you like want to start a business and you you put in all the steps you like do all the work but you get no customers and you go bankrupt bankrupt would you still count that as a success and she said yes because she did the best that she can right and like you know like i i i can compute it in my brain but i don't understand like i really that is a mind boggler but i definitely feel that 
that's a healthier perspective than what I think. Because mine is a very external, I guess, sort of definition. Like, to me, success is... I don't, success is success. Like, I don't know if that makes sense. But, like, let's just put it in the context of the business again. Like, starting a business. Success is having a lot of customers. Having a lot of following, right? Having a lot of revenue. And then I remember Alana was like, okay, let's say like overnight you just blew up. Like through no effort of your own, suddenly you have all the customers and all the followers and all the revenue. Would you still count that as a success? And I said, yes. And I think that is sort of where the issue lies. Like my view of success is way too external. And that is fucking me up. And that is definitely something that kind of was nurtured out of me in such like a competitive academic environment. Because obviously like to me, like in high school taking tests and getting results was so far far away removed from the actual purpose of the test, which is to gauge where your knowledge is at on a particular subject right but to me a test was like uh, like an obstacle like uh like a like a thing that I had to somehow manipulate one way or another so that I could get the highest possible test score and I remember when I went to Dr. Do for you guys that don't know it's like a tutoring center and every week you have a test that tested you on last week's homework, right? And I remember at that time, I started out in the top class in that tutoring place, and then I got lazy. I started copying Amanda's homework, and I, you know, I never did any of the homework, but I still, like, you know, the homework was graded as well. I got very good marks on the homework. Obviously, my test scores suffered because, you know, I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't know the topic. I didn't know anything about it. Everything that I was supposed to learn, I completely copied off of Amanda's homework, like number for number, word for word, right? So in that sense, like, it, that should have been counted as a failure to me. But I was still like, this is fine. Like, this is just how it is. Like, uh, a loophole every single thing that I can loophole, manipulate any every single situation so that I can, like... I wouldn't even say get ahead because I dropped down, like, two classes. But I would say, like... Uh, like, get it done, kind of, right? Just, like, do everything that I can to like get it done that was basically my thinking and just that is an example of of just how uh, like being in that environment affected me but I, I I will say that I I can't just go ahead and blame everything on like the environment that I was in because plenty of people were in the same sort of situation but they didn't have the same issues as me so I'm not like uh, I don't want to just put 
be like, oh my god, I was just in a really, oh, woe is me, right? It's not my fault at all. It was just, it was just my environment. I don't want to blame it all on that. I fully take into, I fully like am keeping myself accountable. Like I'll just put that out there. It's definitely my fault as well that I let myself be so influenced and I let myself take the shortcut so many times that I learned that that was just the way to do things. That was 100% my fault. But I guess to give it context, that is how that habit of mine festered. And so, you know, like in that sense, failure and success were something that happened to me that someone else not someone else but like something else gave to me kind of it wasn't something that I earned it wasn't something that it wasn't like hard work equates success right so now in my like current state I almost think working hard is like naive almost it's stupid it's like why would you work hard when you can get the same results through a shortcut right but then uh, that just it, it kind of it makes me scared to put in the work because I'm like it's not gonna lead to anything right like I just I just don't have it in my brain that hard work equals results. So I'm like, why would I work so hard at something when it's going to lead to absolutely nothing? Like, why would I do that? So, yeah, I have been thinking about all of this in terms of my Etsy business. Because as you all know, like, I started that ages ago. I have not really done anything to it since and it's not that I've lost interest in it I definitely don't think so because I think about it very very regularly and I'm like oh wouldn't it be nice if I could sell like custom-made fake nails for example that's something that I've been thinking of recently or like before it was like pottery ceramics or like jewelry right like, I, I think about it all the time. And I think it is kind of like a perfect revenue for me because I really do like the idea of me creating art, putting it out there, and then having other people appreciate it so much that they're willing to have it in their life. Like, that is just very heartwarming to me, right? So, like... There, I, you know, there is like dilemma with that as well because a small part of me is like, but is that really what you want or is it what you think you should want? Like, is that what you think will give you the life that is thought to be proper, right? Like, living that like artist dream of selling your creations and all that stuff like I I, at this point I really don't know what thoughts are my own and what thoughts aren't my own and but at the same time I brought up all this today with Caroline and Luciana and Caroline made a very good point of like the this whole 
questioning of whether a job is right for you is kind of a little bit she didn't use the word stupid but I think I that's what I got from it right because back in the day your job was not really tied to your identity at all so your job was just something that you did you didn't really have to be like oh my god this job isn't really me it's not really right for me you just kind of did your job and then you lived your life outside of your job right so yeah (sighs) but then at the same time it's like then then shouldn't everyone just go for like the highest paying job and like and like you know use that money to fuel their hobbies that kind of stuff but then it's like oh my god the highest paying jobs are the ones where you have to like stay there for like 12 hours a day anyways that is that is honestly a whole other wormhole i really hope that this episode is making sense or is like at least interesting because unlike the past two episodes i didn't write any notes so i'm just freeballing from my head but yeah like right now like i kind of filmed this episode impromptuly if that is a word i i don't know i was just thinking about this stuff in the shower and i was like i would really like to document this so that i can just have it for future reference right like if i ever want to revisit my thoughts what my thoughts were at this point in my life regarding this topic i will I could have this on hand because I definitely think that I'm like uh, this sounds kind of like cringe to say but like embarking on like a character journey at the moment where I'm like uh questioning my thoughts and morals and values and blah 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 but yeah I really am doing that so I'm excited I'm excited to see what my thoughts will be on this maybe like a year down the road, right? When I've kind of when I've kind of taken some action towards this. Okay, so back to the topic of like hard work and my Etsy business. I've just I just I don't know, just fear of failure is just looming over me so hard that I am I am like uh, immobilized, I'm paralyzed, right? Because like there are so many things that I could be doing to further my business that I would love to do, but I just haven't done it yet. And it's very, very easy things as well. I already have another sticker sheet all stocked up or delivered. All I need to do is take pictures and post it on like my Instagram and my Etsy. And then that's, that's all that needs to be done. And I have like a clay, clay kind of like uh, ashtrays and like whatever that I've made that I just need to paint and glaze and like list up as well. So it's like all the, I guess, hard part is done. I just need to like follow through. But it's the act of like posting my work out into the world that scares me because that is where that is where I'm able to fail right because like I said before my notions of failure and success are still very externally based 
and I was talking to Caroline and Luciana about this and they said that I completely agree with this and this is what I am going to do but like they said that I should refocus my my perspective onto like my actual creations and what I make right which it kind of is what I'm doing for things that like I don't show to the world but we had like a very long conversation about this as well I'm very thankful that they were there to kind of like listen to me rant and like walk me through my own thought process I tend that I do kind of get lost in my own thoughts sometimes and I'm like and I just dig myself deeper and deeper into the abyss so it was nice to have like someone there to be like you know guiding me and being like uh that's stupid when I say something dumb so yeah uh the thing about like the thing about what was I gonna say oh yes the thing about like focusing my success on my actual creations I I think the 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 main thing that's stopping me is that like I don't really give myself enough credit I only see like my shortcomings right and I'm like this is all that I this is everything that I lack and I don't give myself enough credit for the things that I do accomplish because when you think about it I'm very proud of the fact that I have dabbled in a lot of mediums I've sewn stuff I've painted stuff I've drawn stuff I've made jewelry I've made music I have a podcast I've animated I have made vlogs I've what else there's just like a crochet loom like there are so many things that I've done that I've made and created that like I just I I kind of take it all for granted right the thing is I should kind of celebrate those things as successes and focus on the process of creation rather than focusing on the feedback that I get that I receive from those creations right like rather than being like oh uh like I need to post about this on my Instagram and then I need to like make sure that it gets a lot of likes with these hashtags and like blah 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 like post it at the right time to get the right engagement whatever right rather than doing that I should just appreciate the fact that I made something I materialized something from my brain into the actual world and just having that done even if nobody sees it even if I posted it like literally not a single person likes it not a single person buys it just the fact that I've made it should already be a success I think that is what I should focus on like reprogramming my mind to and I think that is what's gonna kind of stop me from being so paralyzed by 
the thought of putting my work out there. There's like, honestly, this problem is so multifaceted as well. Because like, like I said before, there's like, I don't know, like, is it still fear of failure? Because it's like, like, yeah, like I'm scared of putting my work out there and having it be not well received. And at the same time, I'm like scared of hard work. And, you know, it's just... I'm like thinking about all of this stuff now because, you know, as you like, uh, the past couple of months, I was like, oh my god, should I drop out of uni? And then now I'm like fully like, yeah, like I've dropped out, like this is the right decision, like I'm not worried at all about that anymore. The thing that I'm worried about now, well, like not now, but like up until now was like getting a job so that I could have like a source of income right and I was like you know applying to jobs whatever whatever and now I finally got in a job and I need to actually start thinking about what I'm gonna do for the rest of my life and yeah I have been putting it off by being so focused on job hunting I guess and now that that's over I have to like face the music and be like these are the issues that I need to sort out and figure out (sighs) at the same time I am very grateful for this opportunity to be able to even like think so reflectively all the time and have this space and ability to do that I feel like, you know, it's going to have set up a foundation that's going to propel me through the rest of my life. I need to get these issues sorted out now so that, you know, I can face all the challenges that are to come, right? Uh, I feel like as much as I don't like to admit it, I am actually very mentally weak. I just find that I tend to rationalize my way out of a lot of things, right? I'm like, maybe, maybe that's what it is. Cause I'm like, okay, like with this whole Etsy shop thing, right? I'm like, yeah, I have all of these issues with like starting and I'm like paralyzed with fear when I'm posting. And then I'm like, like in my little brain I try to like rationalize it and I'm like okay but maybe what if you're doing this because this is not actually what you want what if this is just like you know uh, you just think this is what you want because like I said like like I said earlier it's like what you think will like bring you closest to the fantasy of every artist right like and the more I think about it, that's not true. It is actually something that I really want. And even if it's not something that I want, like, for the long run, I want it now. So why not work for it now? And then later down the track, if I really do think this is not something that I want to do, I don't like it anymore, just stop doing it. But I shouldn't, like, I, I shouldn't, give up before I've even tried low-key, right? Because again, 
in my conversation with Caroline Luciano, Caroline was like, imagine, imagine the utopia of this situation. So like, imagine, you know, what's the best outcome that could come from this Etsy business thing. And the best outcome for me is I'm like an artist in every sense, right? Like every day I get to create something that other people can interact with and brings value to them or like invokes something in them whether that be like a thought or emotion and stuff and then they can like talk to me about it and I could be like wow that's so interesting that this you know brought up this in you when you know it wasn't intended right like that that is just so interesting to me and so like exciting for me that something that I can make can sort of I don't know like influence other people or like not even influence them but just like can affect other people like other people care about my creations like that is kind of cool to me so yeah in the utopian world I just have full freedom over my artistic creations I create whatever I want on a whim and I can like talk about it in my community right that's the utopia and then the dystopia the complete opposite is honestly what I'm doing right now like not even starting because at least if I say like oh my dystopia is like I created all those things I put it out there and like everyone hates it and tells me to stop I feel like I would still be proud of the fact that I made it and put it out there, right? Like, that would still be leaps and bounds better than me not making those things at all. Because here's one example that I'll bring up. My stand-up comedy script. I wrote quite a substantial script for stand-up comedy that I've performed to a select few of my friends and everyone absolutely hated it. Not a single person liked it or thought it was funny. It was very, very badly received. But at the same time, I think back to it and I'm like, I had fun writing that. I thought it was funny you know, like, and, uh, I haven't revisited it in the, in the recent couple of months, but I remember when I wrote it, I was like, holy shit, this is the funniest thing ever, like, oh my god, I'm a stand-up comedian, yeah, that was (laughs) delusional of me, but, you know, I had fun making that, even if nobody liked it, I, I liked it, (laughs) as childish as that sounds like oh my god everyone else hated it but I liked it but yeah like I did and you know what I I wouldn't count that as a failure I think you know I think that's a step in the right direction I don't count that as a failure because at least at least I gave it a go And it kind of made me realize that I do like comedy writing. And since then, I've like taken notes about comedy writing and like sitcoms especially. 
I kind of like when I watch a sitcom I kind of study how it is and the characters to see kind of the formula almost of sitcom writing and here's what I've discovered so far right there's really only three things you need in a sitcom number one characters and there are really only a couple of tropes of characters that get reused and reused and reused and number one there is the rule following character some examples of this are amy santiago from brooklyn 99 dina fox from superstore dwight schrute from the office and monica from friends you know those type of characters where they love to follow the rules to a point where it's comical they exaggerate it so so to a point that it's comical that's one of the character tropes another character trope is you want a character that is absolutely disgusting example hitchcock and scully from book of 99 um marcus from superstore what's that guy's name oh my god creed from the office creed uh there isn't really one like that in friends but you know that kind of character where the whole thing about them is that they're absolutely disgusting right that's their whole stick they're gross and then there is the other character of um the other character trope where someone's like really really serious so obviously Holt in Brooklyn Nine-Nine and then there's also Rosa as well in Brooklyn Nine-Nine and also Dina from Superstore and Dwight from Superstore so here's the thing like one character can have many of these tropes as well so it's kind of like there are these there are these couple of character tropes that every sitcom mixes and matches and then that creates different characters so you can have like a rule following but very playful and that creates amy santiago or you can have rule following and very strict and that creates dwight schrute dina fox right and you can have like you know, like, there are so many tropes out there, like, I can't think of them all on the top of my head, but I did write notes for it, so, you know, all these tropes, and then you mix and match to make characters, right, so that's the first thing that you need, and then the second thing that you need is, like, you just need to follow the formula for a sitcom, so every episode, there's two or three subplots, right, and one of the plots always involves the main character and someone else and they're doing something and then there's a another plot with like the secondary characters kind of and they're doing something and then it's so not really scene by scene but it goes the first the okay let's say story a is the main character and their story and story b is the secondary secondary characters in their story so it goes story a story b story a story b story a story b right so it just cuts in between them from time to time and obviously like the comedy comes in with the timing of the cuts as well and the actual stories themselves so 
you know, it's not just like you just cut it at random moments. Usually you cut it at a point where it's kind of funny, if that makes sense. So I'm trying to think of an example. Uh... <sighs> All of the examples that I'm thinking of... Um, okay. Okay, this is not an example of it being funny, but you kind of, like, understand what I'm talking about. So, basically, in Superstore, Jonah and Amy are the two main characters, and they kind of have a will-they-won't-they kind of situation where they kind of like each other, but, like, at different times. Like, one's in a relationship, and, like, one likes the other, blah, 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 that kind of thing, right? And then there's this one scene where Amy discovers that she's pregnant and then she has kind of like a rant to Dana and she's like, oh my god, like I'm pregnant again just when I thought that my life was like getting into order and I could do all the things that I finally wanted to do, like skydiving or like motorcycle lessons. And then Dana was like, well, there's always things, there's always reasons not to do things. If you want to do something, just do it. And then in the next scene, it's Amy talking to Jonah and then suddenly she leans in to kiss him and then as after they kiss uh Jonah is like what huh and then Amy is like I'm pregnant and then Jonah's like okay then like why did you kiss me and then she was like oh I just wanted to right and then it's kind of like a very awkward moment between the the two of them and then the camera pans out so you see like them two in the corner it's like an aerial shot of them two in the corner amongst this like warehouse and it just kind of like puts into perspective the awkwardness and like the lingering of the scene a little bit and then it cuts to the next scene to story b right and it's that kind of like timing that kind of makes it seem seamless because I don't know if it's just me, if I'm just oblivious, but like before I realized this, I never kind of registered in my brain that one episode had many, many sub stories to it, kind of. I just thought it was just, oh, it's just an episode. This is just what happens in the episode. But, you know, many things happen in the episode. There's two or three stories happening in the one episode. And I find that having so many stories and weaving them together like this kind of uh, like engages the viewer from the beginning all the way to the end because they're constantly cutting between storylines. So the moment that you get, you might get a little bit bored with one, they don't even let you get bored with it. The moment that you might get bored with one, they cut to the next one and then they cut back and then back and forth like that, right? So that is the second thing about standard comedies. Wait, no, sorry, not standard comedies, sitcoms. And the third thing about sitcoms is that there is an overarching storyline. Usually it's romantic. I would say actually 100% of the times it's romantic. Because here's the thing about sitcoms, right? It's a situation comedy. So the thing is, their situation can't really change. 
For example, in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, they have to be cops. The moment that they're not cops, it's not Brooklyn Nine-Nine anymore. It's not a situation comedy. In Superstore, they have to be working at a Superstore, right? The moment that that shifts, it's not, it's not a situation comedy anymore. It's not a sitcom anymore. It's just like a show, right? For The Office, they have to be working in that office, right? That's the whole thing. So there's really not too much plot-wise that can happen other than maybe like, for example, in The Office, Jim getting promoted, Dwight getting promoted, that kind of stuff. But even that, I wouldn't say is a very like, large overarching plot thing i would say the large overarching plot things are like usually the romance lines so in brooklyn nine nine it's jake and amy getting together because they're they're the two main characters and that kind of fuels the character combinations for the stories in each episode so you would want obviously not every episode but like most of the episodes you would want Jake and Amy to be doing a story together right or like you want them to kind of interact a lot so that it doesn't it's not out of the blue that they suddenly get together right and same as Superstore because here's the thing right with Superstore I kind of didn't expect the second secondary characters to get together but then after re-watching it so many times I actually noticed that in the beginning the secondary characters Dina and Garrett they end up together right they actually interact a lot all the way from the beginning and so I thought it was like a random decision to kind of piece them together but it's actually been in the works all the way from like season one so like that's the kind of thing that you have to do you kind of like you know who's going to end up together at the end and then you put them together in situations to make your stories so the things that you think are random aren't really random at all they're kind of all you know working together for this final end result at the end of the show And then for the actual like stories themselves, that's when it gets a little bit creative and that's when it kind of, that's when the creativity kind of sets in where you can like throw in ridiculous scenarios where it just, it, that's when like the kind of outward comedy comes out where for example, um, All the examples that I can think of are from Superstore, but I know that it's kind of like a niche comedy and not a lot of people have seen it. So I want to think of something like from The Office or something that like everyone has seen. But I haven't watched The Office in quite a while, so I am... (sighs) Let me think, let me think. Like... Okay, like for example um Pam and Jim going to Dwight's like living in Dwight's like bed and breakfast farm and then he's like feeding them beets and he's like crying in the middle of the night like wailing and then Jim goes and knocks on the door and he's like Dwight shut up and he's like Dwight is like 
yes, I will look into that noise and investigate. And then the moment that Jim closes the door, Dwight starts, like, wailing again. Like, stuff like that, that's, like, just, like, it's funny to everyone, right? Like, you can tell that it's a funny situation. That's kind of when the creativity comes in. And then you're, like, you can kind of take the reins and, like, just put them in ridiculous situations, right? So if you really have those few things... And obviously choose a situation, right? Like any situation, like whether that be the office, a police uh, thing. What's it called? What is it called? I always said headquarters. That's not what it is. A police station or like, you know, a store or like a government sector, like parks and recs, right? Like choose a situation, have all those things in order and bam, you've got yourself a sitcom so yeah i did not expect to talk about a sitcom for so long but there it is if anyone wants to write a sitcom there you go there's a formula that i've gathered from watching many many sitcoms many many times obviously there are like deviations to this but i think that really is the basic formula to write a popular sitcom um anyways i think that is the end of this episode i'm not sure that i covered everything that i wanted to talk about but you know it is what it is say la vie if that's the phrase i don't even really know what that word means that phrase means like say la vie and like carpe diem i'm like I i don't know what they mean but like i hear them all the time so I kind of want to say it too like it's kind of like catchy so I'm like yeah carpe diem bitches but like what what does that even mean it means like go with the tide or something but like like what does that even mean even when it's translated I don't get it but yeah okay bye guys thanks for listening